we're much better at uh, alcohol legislation than home yes. studios for sure. We yes. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to this bonus episode where we take a closer look at Kentucky House Bill 415. Now, if you don't live in Kentucky, you still need to listen to this because this is the first piece of legislation that could hit your state next. This bill covers two major points. First, it's the title of this podcast. It's the beginning of the dismantling of the three-tier system, giving consumers the ability to buy directly from distilleries and producers themselves in Kentucky, putting more money back into the pockets of the distillery because... At this point, there's no distributor in the equation, and the distillery also functions as the retailer. It's a huge win. Second is shipping. Distilleries, as well as breweries and wineries, can now ship back to your doorstep when you're visiting on the bourbon trail, and you can do that in reciprocal states. So we're breaking down more commerce laws. If you want to see the summary of the bill, check out the link in the show notes, and there's a nice PDF that explains everything. Again, all huge wins, but let's get to this bonus episode where I'm joined by Adam Koenig and Christy Trout, who helped draft and push this bill into law. Cheers, y'all. Stay safe and stay tuned because we've got some more big announcements coming soon. Welcome back to another special bonus episode of Bourbon Pursuit. Kenny here today. And, you know, this is one of the topics that we've talked about quite extensively on the roundtable uh, and not just the roundtable and many podcasts before about how we see the uh, the next generation get fueled of how do we look at alcohol delivery, how do we look at alcohol sales, distribution, so on and so forth. Um, we've been saying forever that it's about time that there's been a shakeup with inside of the system because we uh, it's now 2020 and we've had the same laws since, gosh, probably since the repeal of prohibition. So, it's about time that we look at every other industry out there that's been affected by technology and change, and we see exactly how is this going to affect and how it's going to impact alcohol and sales. Because, I mean, we can already see that alcohol sales and alcohol, just the distribution system itself, has been pretty stagnant for a long time. And then all of a sudden, legalized marijuana comes mm-hmm. on the scene and you know, now you've got delivery services for that. I mean, it's it's amazing how that has become almost uh, it's 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 now taking better regulation than what we've seen just with alcohol. I know I'm going on a rant here, but I want to go ahead and introduce our guests today because our guests are very important and very special as it comes down to what we saw in the passing of House Bill 415 that happened in the state of Kentucky, which we've talked about is potentially the first domino to fall amongst many. So first, we've got Christy Trout. Christy is a lawyer. She's also a former commissioner for the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control and the special counsel to the Speaker of the House. So hi, Christy. Hi. And then we've also got Adam Koenig. Adam is the state representative and chairman for the Licensing and Occupation Committee of the House. So Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. So you all are uh, champions of this bill that that went through, correct? Yes. <laughs> So how did you all get involved with this? I mean, did, was this something that I know it's, there's always people that are with inside of legislation. You got discus, you've got all these mm-hmm. different um, people that are pushing different ways. Now, did you, did you like get a, was there somebody that kind of pushed you towards this or is it something like, Hey, like I like my mm-hmm. spirits, like let's see some change as well. Well, the um, first of all, Christy and I have been uh, working together since she started at alcohol and beverage control 
um, what, three years, four years ago? Yeah, it was in 2000, January. No, let's see. Gosh, we're getting old. It was in um, September of 2016, actually, is when Adam and I met. And then uh, that was in, in November of that year, mm-hmm. the uh, Republicans took over the House of Representatives mm-hmm. for the first time in 95 years. I became chairman of the Licensing Occupations and Administrative Regulations Committee, which handles uh, all things uh, alcohol, among others. And so we've been working together to try to uh, deregulate some of these old school mm-hmm. Prohibition era laws. And um, this year, specifically to House Bill 415, um, go back to last year, 2019, Senator Max Wise had a bill in the Senate that would allow the direct shipment of wine, which is common in most states and a admirable goal. But when you live in Kentucky, uh, it's it doesn't quite go far enough. So we uh, we did not uh, hear that bill in 2019. And as soon as the session ended, we immediately started. And it's okay. been a year now mm-hmm. Um that we began bringing all the stakeholders together and starting to create a framework by which we could uh, treat all alcohol mm-hmm. the same, which uh, we've been doing now for four years right? and trying to do for four years. Oh, trying to do, yes. And succeeding largely. In fact, well, and when you produce 95% of the world's bourbon, parity is a huge issue um, in the alcohol world, certainly in California. You know, wine uh, dominates there, but here uh, spirits is our signature industry. And so was the goal to look at this and say, like, well, if California can do this, so should we. Well, the goal was to make it so that uh, not only could people ship in wine or ship out wine from Kentucky, but uh, most importantly, uh, allow our craft brewers and our distillers to have the same privileges as wine. And that's going to be down the road huge for jobs and all these small businesses uh, who are distilleries, Mm -hmm. the big ones, the small ones, and have the opportunity to be on a level playing field. Yes. And Kentucky also has small farm wineries um, as well. So we have areas in all three of the big tiers for producers and are looking forward to allowing those folks to expand their opportunities as well. A lot of our uh, brewers are craft brewers as well as our distilleries. We have a lot of new craft distilleries kind of opening up and they don't have the same ability to distribute in the same distribution system that some of our larger distilleries would have. So this also creates an opportunity for those smaller producers in whatever they're producing to be able to get their product out um, to consumers who might be interested in it in a way that they couldn't have otherwise done so, and also in a way that consumers are doing business these days. So that's, um, I mean, it, we're, we're definitely hitting on a lot of good, st- good stuff here. So I kind of want to look at this, like if, because uh, I'm looking at uh, one of the overviews that mm-hmm. were sent to me, you know, it was passed on March 26th. It became law on April 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it doesn't go into effect until like June or July. Is, is that correct? Somewhere around that time frame? That's right. Yep. Um, but unless a bill has an emergency declaration on it when it's passed, mm-hmm. they, they all become law uh, about the middle of July. Gotcha. And then so let's let's think about this. Like if there are like three or four big bullet points to take about this, then we'll dive into them. Like what are the three or four big bullet points that people should start taking away from this? Like what does this bill really mean? From a policy standpoint or from a legal standpoint? Oh gosh! So now you're now you're going over my head. <laughs> I am a lawyer. I had to at least get that in at some point. Um, you know, I think that uh, I'll start with a couple, and then of course, Mr. Chairman, chime in. Um, the the first is that we created a system in which al- all alcohol is treated equally for purposes of 
um, direct ship to consumers. So it's this bill allows any manufacturer of alcohol uh, to obtain a direct ship license. And when they obtain that license, that allows them to ship their product um, to consumers. But it, again, applying to all. Um, we took into account uh, consumer safety issues as well when drafting this legislation. So um, ensured that those manufacturers, when the alcohol is being shipped to the consumer, that those manufacturers must use a licensed common carrier, such as UPS, FedEx, DHL. Um, those persons must be licensed. The alcohol has to contain, uh, it has to be in a box that's conspicuously labeled. Uh, so there's a signature required for delivery so that you have to have an adult who's over 21 sign for the alcohol. Um, and if there's no one there to do that, then the alcohol can't be left at the residence. So um, creating parity among um, all types of alcohol, as well as trying to ensure uh, as best you can that the consumers are protected and that we avoid um, unauthorized access uh, to alcohol by those um, who are youthful or who are in areas where alcohol sales would not be permitted otherwise. Those are all good points. And uh, one more thing I would add is I come from uh, Northern Kentucky mm-hmm. and I can't even begin to tell you the amount of people who have told me, oh, it, when this bill passes, I can stop shipping yeah. wine to my office in Ohio or I can stop shipping wine to my parents mm-hmm. over in Indiana. This is going to be a source of revenue for the state. We're going to capture revenue that's already going on um, mm-hmm. in those examples. They're going to different states. There are plenty of other examples of people. Shipping in bourbon uh, or wine or something else. I don't know why you ship bourbon into Kentucky when you already have it available to you. But uh, and good bourbon at that, the best bourbon. And shipping wine in Mm -hmm. and having it labeled as olive oil and not paying any taxes and doing it uh, around the law. This is an opportunity for people to do it within the law in a regulated manner, and the state will generate revenue from it. Absolutely, and so I know that. Like from a very selfish point of view, we look at this in regards of, of course, like bourbon and we look at really like shipping because this is a a big thing to happen in regards of uh, shipping and everything like that. So one of the things that we look at here is that now Kentucky based producers can ship products to other states if they have reciprocal laws. Um, And I think right now it's like close to like eight or 10 states or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. So what is, I mean, is there a, is there a future plan to get more states on board with something like this? Like, is this set to look at, like, this is a, this is a boilerplate or this is a template that other states can start building on and and perhaps reap some of the same benefits. Was that an initial goal of this as well? Certainly. I mean, that was certainly a goal of our process. And in fact, um, the Uniform Law Commission which is a nationwide organization made up um, of lawyers who are appointed um, to this commission. And their goal is to essentially look at particular topics and develop language that could be, in fact, to your point, used as model language. We were able to rely on some of the work that the Uniform Law Commission um, had previously done and utilize that language to try to develop something that would be standard, would be model that other states could utilize when they are considering opening their borders as well uh, to enter and an inter and intrastate shipment of alcohol. So certainly that's exactly what we did. And we hope that Kentucky can be a model for that, particularly um, given our industry um, our, and our potential um, for becoming, you know, the model state for the direct shipment of alcohol would be fabulous. And with the uh, success of the bourbon trail, obviously we have people coming mm-hmm. from all over the country to experience it. And when they, I think they're used to coming in and knowing that they can't ship at home. Mm -hmm. When they visit, 
when we explain to them, hey, we'd love to be able to ship it to your house. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are states when, where we can do it. If uh, someone does not live in one of those states, maybe they'll start sending it to their friend in the neighboring state. Or more importantly, let their legislators and government officials know that uh, they'd like to be able to do this and they need to change the law in order to make it happen. All right. That sounds, that sounds really good because, uh, you know, we look at this and from like the next point of like um, out of state, like, cause that's kind of like the, the big thing here is well, not the biggest thing, but you know, when we look mm-hmm. at out of state producers actually shipping to Kentucky consumers, right. I mean, like this is, this is a big win just for Kentucky consumers in general mm-hmm. um, because it gives us not an opportunity, you know, it gives us an opportunity to kind of, uh, explore different options. It breaks down some commerce clauses that we've seen across the U.S. as well, right? I mean, it gives you a, a lot of that stuff going on. So when when we say that you know out-of-state producers can ship to Kentucky consumers, if their respective state law permits them to ship, uh, what does that mean? Is it just mean reciprocal only? Like, what is what does that really mean? You know, every state is different. Um, in Kentucky, what we needed to do was establish an application and a permit that would allow someone to ship. Um, we chose to establish one permit that either uh, that an in-state producer or an out-of-state producer could obtain. So we chose one streamlined approach to establishing a permit that if you have that, it gives you the privilege of both shipping outside the state of Kentucky and inside the state of Kentucky to consumers. I think there are a lot of different models um, that can be used, but as we were going through this process, we felt like one set of rules, one license that applied equally to both in-state and out-of-state shipments had the most likelihood of success um, and um with respect to any commerce clause to your, uh, with respect to any commerce clause challenges or any other constitutionality challenges that may arise from it, uh, we felt like this was the best course in order to preserve it. And so, I think there's another like the big, really the big thing that I get out of this is allowing the shipment of and, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's allowing consumers the ability to buy directly from distilleries, mm-hmm. and is it completely bypassing? the wholesalers in general and the distributors. And so there you basically you remove one of the tiers of that three tier system. It does physically uh, from a logistical standpoint, it, it does um, eliminate the use of a wholesaler or distributor. When we initially began this process, um, as the chairman mentioned, we offered uh, the wholesalers and the distributors an opportunity to be part of this process. Um, you know, they could have, had they so chosen, this would have been an opportunity for them to be part of that delivery uh, service. However, um, both uh, the wholesalers and the distributors in the Commonwealth respect, um, they respectfully asked to, to be excluded uh, from the bill. So um, to the extent that it removes them physically and logistically, yes, from a taxing standpoint, however, um, those taxes are still included because the direct the shipper in this instance is required by law to collect and remit the taxes that would have been collected had um, the transaction occurred in the Commonwealth. When we say a shipper, I'm thinking of like, okay, like I phone up and we'll just use four roses for this matter. I phone up four roses and I'm like, hey, um, I live in XYZ state. It's a reciprocal state. Mm-hmm. Um, can I get one of your four rows of small batch selects, box it up, drop it off at UPS. Mm-hmm. Now, how is a, how is a distributor still in that, that sort of scenario or is four roses basically saying like, okay, like we hired or contracted out UPS or FedEx mm-hmm. and we 
make a little note and we pay our taxes that 15% or whatever that tax is uh, to the government at the end of the month. Right. So yeah, the, at that, in the, the transaction that you described four roses would utilize whatever independent third party it chose to use to get that shipment to Kentucky. I mean, excuse me, to the consumer. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah. yeah in that, in that instance, you can completely cut out the wholesalers in, in general. The, the way the law is designed is is exactly as it's described, which is a direct-to-consumer sale from a manufacturer. So, yes, but they obviously – not every manufacturer is going to be able to or even want to set up a distribution system whereby they're doing the actual distribution. But they are required to use a licensed common carrier, which was a big part of the consumer safety issue. Um, gotcha. The alcohol okay. is being delivered. So, yes. Yeah, so they will be using some third party that is considered a licensed common carrier, such as UPS. Okay, perfect. So, okay. So we, in that situation, I guess we, we do have some, some, some leeway we have in there. And so Christy, I know I got ahead of myself and I, I probably spouted some, something off there that maybe some of the listeners don't know. You know, I said like, oh, 15% at the end of the month. Can you go and, or, you know, you or Adam kind of talk through like what the process is for a, a distillery or a brewery or whatever it is that they would need to file and really like what the what the percentage of the sale is and everything like that as well. From a taxing standpoint or just generally how it would go? Uh, I guess the flow as well as the tax, um, just so sure. you know, anybody that's, that's from the um, producer side that listens to this, they have a better understanding of exactly how they can get started and really what it means for their business. Sure. Um, a, con- a producer who's interested um, in engaging in the direct shipment of alcohol to a consumer in Kentucky um, would apply with the Kentucky Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control for a license, a direct shipper license. And the ABC has certain... Um, requirements with respect to those applicants. And those applicants would be treated just like any other applicant um, applying for a license in Kentucky. Uh, They would apply for that license, uh, presuming they obtained that license and met the requirements of the department. They would also be required to register with the Department of Revenue um, for the purposes of collecting and remitting the appropriate taxes uh, for what if the shipment is coming to Kentucky for remitting the appropriate taxes to Kentucky for those shipments that Kentucky provides. producers are sending out of state, presumably that state will require them to collect and remit the taxes that would that state uh, would be entitled as well. Um, Once they have those licenses and permits and have been appropriately registered, then they may begin uh, the shipment of alcohol to consumers under uh, the guidelines that are set forth in House Bill 415. Gotcha. Okay. So there's there's a pretty good, you know, kind of lay of the land right there of exactly what's going to happen for each one of these. Now, one of the the things that kind of comes to mind right here is um, I'm looking over the, uh, what was sent to me and, mm-hmm. you know, it talks about the actual product. Um, the product must be shipped from a producer's licensed premise. And that's determined on what you had done in that, that direct shipper license application. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess one question, and, and I'm selfishly asking for myself because I have my own bourbon brand as well with my partner in the podcast. Um, what about NDPs, non-distilling producers, people that don't actually own a distillery, mm-hmm. they source, they blend, and they, you know, they get it out to market that way. We we talked a lot about this actually, um, and if you if I don't know if you have the law in front of you, and I don't want to necessarily read four fifteen, but manufacturers defined specifically here. Um, And a manufacturer is one that holds a license permit or other authorization to manufacture alcohol. 
And they can only ship those that are sold under a brand name that they own or that's exclusively licensed to them. That were And those beverages were produced by them, produced for them, or uh, by them under an existing contract with another manufacturer or a product that was produced and bottled for someone that is a manufacturer. And then in addition to that definition of a manufacturer... There is another section of this bill that allows a manufacturer to use an independent contractor to do the business that it could have otherwise done, which should allow um, for some of those non-distilling producers to do the work that a producer could have done. Gotcha. So in short, I guess, yes, is, is it good? <laughs> kind of. Isn't, isn't the answer, isn't is, it? as long as Maybe. you're properly licensed today and going forward, you'll be able to, to ship? Yes, as long as you are properly licensed as a manufacturer. And for purposes of Kentucky law, manufacturers very specifically, is, excuse me, is very specifically defined. So... Maybe that makes sense. I was like, it's like I'm thinking. I was like, say anything other than maybe. No. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I was like, we'll we'll take we'll take that one offline. We used that one before. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I was like, as I'm thinking, I was like, okay, well, we're registered in Louisville, but some of our stuff's actually happening in Tennessee, so we can we can try to figure out those uh, those 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 curveballs later or something like that. Yeah, license if you're if you are a licensed manufacturer in Kentucky. Am I? Uh, I don't really know. Exactly. I mean, we have our wholesaler's license then and our no. wholesaler's license. Okay. Then so no. we're not. No. Yeah. Because we're not technically a DSP. Right. right? Because we don't actually. DSP or a brewer or a microbrewer or a small farm winery or a winery. So you must be an actual producer. Okay. So you have to have your DSP license, not just a wholesaler's license. You cannot. A wholesaler's license in Kentucky is will not. You, you may not ship with just a wholesaler's license. I okay. tried, just for the record. How'd that work out for you? Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get yeah. things passed. So there you go. <laughs> that sounds good. And so I guess, um, you know, Christy, to kind of go to one of your first points that when we were originally brought this up, you know, we look at the scale of what some distilleries can do and, and some breweries. I mean, if we think of uh, big breweries, we think of like West six, like they're, they're a big brewery mm-hmm. uh, against the grain. They're a pretty decent sized brewery. Yeah. They, they got some national and regional distribution, but then you've got other smaller breweries around Louisville and Lexington and other areas with inside the state. What do you, I mean, do you really see this really focused on some of those smaller to medium businesses, the ones that are getting an opportunity to have more distribution uh, at a, at a, at a, essentially increasing the footprint of their distribution and not trying to be hindered by traditional uh, distributors that say like, okay, to come online, you got to go to this state, you got to get registered in this state and you've got to have X amount of product and we've got to go, we've got to sell it to every one of these stores. And you know, that mm-hmm. whole process that goes into just expanding your footprint to another state? Yes. I think the short answer is yes. As I mentioned before, it's sometimes very difficult um, for smaller breweries. Um, and even those those who are really prominent here, I mean, against the grain, um, 
is operating in a space in Japan. So our folks are, are really doing amazing things in terms of getting their product out. But it does come with the same challenges of, you know, the logistical distribution of it, but also uh, brand awareness. I mean, brand awareness is a huge component of, of, of an alcohol product. I mean, you think about it, the maker, the quintessential maker's mark bottle, no one, you know, thinks of that without thinking of the red wax, um, you know, our beer, I mean, the labeling, that sort of thing. Brand awareness is huge. And in order to do that, um, especially for some of the small folks, this will be an opportunity. But and again, even for, for some of those more prominent folks, this is an opportunity definitely to expand that footprint. Just imagine when, you know, uh, you're a distillery and on your podcast or some in some magazine or some Facebook post that catches fire about your product. And people are interested and they go to the store and look for your product. Um, and if they're not on the shelves, you're forgotten mm-hmm. uh, when the next magazine or the next post or the next thing of interest comes sure. out. Uh, that's an opportunity for these small distilleries when they catch fire to be able to get their product directly into the hands of the consumers that are interested and uh, create, hopefully, uh, customers for life. Mm-hmm. You kind of remind me of like the Shark Tank effect, you know, when, <laughs> yeah. when somebody goes on Shark Tank and then all of a sudden they didn't they didn't prepare for the influx of traffic that was going to their website. And so their website goes down. And then if you don't capture those people in the yeah. hour that it airs, then mm-hmm. it you know, you basically lost them. Yep, yep, exactly. And that's the way. I mean, folks are doing business. That's the way consumers are looking for their products. I mean, social media, is it to your point, Adam, is just huge. And there's no there's no way to avoid that um, if you want to be competitive in pretty much any space. And I think we've come to the recognition, at least in small part um, every day, that alcohol is one of those products that needs to be able to operate kind of in an e-commerce space in order for it to be successful long term. And I guess, you know, back to one of the original uh, questions, I think, Adam, I think you had uh, kind of talked about was, or maybe Chris, you did in saying that the, the distributors actually didn't want to be, yeah, well, you know, we'll, 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 we'll figure out like a, uh, like one of those TMZ names for you later. Like we'll try to try to try to combine them. (laughs) Just don't go, just don't be too rough on us. Okay. (laughs) There you go. Kona Trout. So, you know, one of the things that you had brought up in the very beginning of this was the fact that distributors didn't want to play a part of this. And I thought that was honestly kind of baffling because when we look at the change that, you know, basically or lack thereof change that's been happening over the uh, the past few years, you know, we all know that the the SWSs of the world, the republics of the world, they've got they've got lobbying power. They've got money. They want to keep things kind of status quo. I mean, are they not are they not scared of this a little bit and and really what it could potentially mean to um you know what it could mean to distilleries and breweries to say like okay like we could try to figure out ways to uh uh you know maybe do special releases this way or smaller distilleries could say well we'll just go online only right it 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 creates a a new um a, a new a new a new opportunity for a lot of these people so i guess back to the question is like were distributors really not scared of this and and why or why not? They were scared of it. Uh, They opposed it. Um, We included them and they were part of the process and we added some things uh, at their request. Uh, But in the end, they were opposed to it to the bitter end. Uh, And yeah, I regularly 
uh, talked about the idea that uh, they're in a changing world and they need to adapt their business model. Of course, you know, I'm telling a bunch of people in this business to adapt their business model. And what the heck do I know? I probably wouldn't listen to me either if I were them. That notwithstanding, uh, wouldn't it be great idea for them to go to these small distilleries and say, hey, you're in the bourbon making business. You're not in the uh, shipping business. Why don't we're a logistics company in large part? Why don't you allow us to be your back end? and work with these distilleries and breweries and whomever else in order to grow their market and uh, grow those opportunities. And, you know, and they didn't just have to do that. They could sell anything that was in there, uh, in their warehouse. Uh, so I think it was a great opportunity for them to, to expand and, and change with the times. Um, they didn't want anything to do with that. And the, best argument I heard was that they just didn't want to compete with other out-of-state operations. So that's all I had on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that that does make sense from that perspective that they they don't want to compete with with that. You know, I also look at this as, and and we've said it uh, a bunch of times already, as the first domino to kind of fall. And we know that, and I'm sure that you all have kept up with like, um, you know, total wine versus the state of Tennessee and everything like that in regards of like commerce clause Mm -hmm. that are starting to change. And we are going to eventually hopefully see this become a little bit more ubiquitous. Now you all are a lot closer to this sort of thing. Like what needs to happen in these other states to start following in these footsteps? Does it begin with the people? Like calling your congressman like how does this how does this really begin it begins not just with the customers who want to be able to ship things in but i imagine you probably need to have um, some producers in the state who are interested in being able to ship out Mm -hmm. and can go to their legislators and say hey i know that you know we're going to have competition from some folks um, but you know, if you're making gin or rum or something like that and you want to broaden your market, uh, you go to legislators and say, hey, I want to be able to do this. I've got people coming in or sending me emails saying, gee, I wish you, I could get your stuff in the mail mm-hmm. and, uh, and convince them that way that it is a opportunity for them to expand their business and create more jobs and generate more revenue for the state. I also think that one of the, the- – to, you referenced the Tennessee uh, case that the U.S. Supreme Court decided. Um, I mean, essentially, the Supreme Court taking that step, I think, was a huge step towards exactly uh, what you're seeing happen in Kentucky. I mean, as you know, previously, Kentucky um, distilleries uh, and well, you may you may or may not know this, but Kentucky distilleries could ship to consumers um, as long as. It could ship to consumers in state and out of state as long as the purchase was made in person at the distillery um, or pursuant to a subscription, excuse me, subscription club or some sort of distillery sponsored subscription club uh, that was enrolled and paid for in person. Um, the Supreme Court in, in the Bird case, I think, um, helped pave the way for a lot of those antiquated restrictions to be eliminated because the court made pretty clear uh, in my opinion, that the things that a state can can continue to regulate under the 21st Amendment uh, relate to taxation and police powers. Otherwise, the Commerce Clause um, takes the, the dominant uh, seat as it yeah. relates to alcohol. 
Absolutely. And, and so, I mean, that's, it's, it's really interesting to kind of see exactly where this is going to go and, and maybe what states will start following next and, um, you know, who you'll pick up the phone next from some other representative to say like, okay, what'd you all do? Like, we've got to figure out how to do this as well. We uh, hope so. We're excited about it. We're excited absolutely. about the work we did. I mean, it was a fun process. <laughs> there were moments where we thought, what are we, this may be the craziest thing we've done. Um, but I have to give the chairman credit. I mean, as you said, we met um, in 2016. We worked on a huge uh, overhaul of Kentucky's alcohol laws then. Uh, the chairman successfully passed House Bill 183 uh, at the time. And we sort of continued uh, to work together. And our team has been pretty successful, we feel, in terms of what we've done uh, for alcohol uh, in Kentucky. Well, Christy's been very generous, but uh, we convened. Um all these groups a year ago uh, at the behest of Speaker Osborne mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Chad McCoy, who's from Nelson County and has a, many distilleries mm -hmm. in his district, uh, and uh, myself, and I really thought uh, someone else was going to get the pleasure of being the sponsor, but uh, I was informed <laughs> it was going to be me, but in the end... Um, well, you are in Northern Kentucky, I kind am, of. I, mean, I am a Northern Kentuckian, and we all like things. All things. Same. We're Catholic, <laughs> so if there's uh, gambling or drinking to be done, we're all in. Right. Um, but uh, the chairman it, has a reputation. I have a reputation. I have to uphold. Uh, but um, but Christy here was the brains behind the operation. I was just the uh, semi-pretty face in front. So. Well, fantastic. I mean, this is this has been great because I think we've we've dug down into it. We kind of know exactly what it means for the consumers. Uh, we know what it means for, uh, of course, the the retailers or not the retailers, but the distributors uh, and the retailers because they definitely they don't really have a play in this whatsoever. Um, and we know what it means for the producers. Now, I guess the kind of like one big question that I have for you all is the next sort of thing that we would potentially see is the um the the behemoth that is amazon potentially being a a retailer as well and doing shipping um any thoughts on anything like that of, of what that can mean for the future amazon um you know in well i'll speak for kentucky in kentucky um a retailer well actually this is an interesting uh point before house bill 415 a retailer could ship and deliver alcohol both inter and at, excuse me both intra and out, inter and intrastate um, when house bill 415 was being worked through they actually asked to be out of the shipping business um, and now retailers can deliver to consumers but they can only do so within uh, the state's borders amazon owning whole foods is a retailer and in kentucky today could deliver to kentucky consumers through a retail license that it holds through whole foods so it's a it's an interesting market um, i think you'll see the license types what those mean what privileges a certain license type can uh, hold and do that's where I think you're going to see some change because any, because each state defines a manufacturer differently, defines a wholesaler differently. You know, Kentucky's definition of a wholesaler is different than the TTB definition of a wholesaler, for example. Um, and so each state defines those 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 tiers differently and defines the privileges they have differently. So it'll be interesting to see how how states change in response to this changing market and who can play in what space. 
Yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting as well for for many even smaller brands. I know that we talked about the ability to buy directly from uh, the distilleries, and you know, even even as something that is uh, even a small medium operation that doesn't even want to like get into that business, but they want to mm-hmm. still like ship direct and maybe cut out a tier, right? Because they can still make more money if they get rid of one tier, and Amazon becomes a distributor and retailer in one, and they just take whatever margin that they take. You know, they still put more money back in their pocket. So I still see that as a potential win down the line if if Amazon does become, you know, one of the nation's largest liquor retailers out there and delivery services. It could be. Um, as it exists in Kentucky now, unless they're a manufacturer, obviously they could not uh, ship directly to a consumer. Absolutely. Well, Adam, Christy, I want to say thank you so much for coming sure. on the show today. It was fantastic just to understand exactly, you know, more about this bill. Like we've, we've talked about it, um, but to really hear from the people that were really the masterminds behind this and the, and the beautiful face as well. Sounds right? devilish, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's okay. Right. Um, we we got to make sure that we, we, we get All the right. source and we get the, the information from them because if not, it's just me trying to ramble on and, uh, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't claim to be one, uh, and I never will be one. Well, uh, Adam just plays one on TV. So, yes, and in yeah. Frankfurt. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Because yeah. you're like me. Like I read, yeah. I read this stuff, and I'm like, well, I guess I could interpret it this way. Mm-hmm. But you know, like I said, it was fantastic for you all to come on because, like I said, one of the big questions I had was about the NDPs and really what that means and types of licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, it was really good to have you all on and to uh, to explore this. So, I want to say once again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if there's, if some, if for some reason people want to know more about the bill, um, where would they go online to go find out about it? Well, they can go to the, um, legislative research commission website, lrc.ky.gov. And, uh, they can see the bill directly, uh, if they go to the 2020 session, regular session and, uh, go look up house bills, 415. And, but if you read the bill, it, it would be probably fairly confusing. So um, you can uh, look me up uh, and uh, send me an email directly mm-hmm. and uh, I will send it to Christy. And she, she'll answer the question. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, the, that's how it works. You delegate. Yes. Delegate, right? Yes. Uh, it's the mark, the mark of good leadership, we, right? You delegate. Good politician will <laughs> delegate and then take credit. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for coming on the show today. It was, uh, again, a pleasure to have you all. Make sure that you are subscribed to Bourbon Pursuit. And absolutely. if you want, yeah, well, I'm, I'm telling everybody else, not you. I'm, listen, I'm telling the <laughs> listeners right now. Uh, make sure that you are listening, that you are subscribed to Bourbon Pursuit. Uh, and then you, because uh, this is going to be one of those bonus episodes out there. So you got to be subscribed to make sure that you are catching it. Uh, with that, we will see everybody on our regularly scheduled program on Thursday. So cheers, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>